Hey there, I'm Heather Mulder, a former AmLaw 100 partner who, just five years into my legal career, found myself questioning, why work so hard to barely be squeezing life in? So that I wouldn't become yet another attorney burnout statistic, I decided to redefine success on my terms from the inside out, which is what enabled me to build a profitable legal practice while navigating my way through the challenges of two kids and two bed rests, the 2008 financial crisis, and a battle with breast cancer. What I learned is that you can build a successful legal career without sacrificing your health or personal happiness. And I'm on a mission to help you do exactly that. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both law and life. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Well, hello, hello. This is your host, Heather Mulder. Welcome to the Life in Law Podcast. Today, we are going to get into something a little bit different. Most of my episodes either season at least have had guests or I have a kind of a lengthier or even a short how to, you know, how to overcome overthinking, how to manage stress better, all of that type of thing. And I will, of course, continue with many of those, but I think also that sometimes it's good to share stories, stories that maybe you can see yourself in a little bit, stories that really help inspire you to feel like I'm not alone. And if she can do this, I can too. So following up on the heels of my interview last week with Sarah Cottrell around what to do if you feel like maybe you don't actually want to be a lawyer (laughs) anymore and how to deal with that and figure that out. And then what steps to take. And if you have not listened to last week's episode, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it. If there is any question in your mind that maybe you're not meant to practice law or you're not really sure, because Sarah goes into a couple of things that are really important around how to figure out whether it's that or just where you're working. Maybe you just need a change of employer or of a type of law you're practicing or something like that. And and that interview gets into that. And then it also, she gives you a couple of really great tips around how to get started if you decide, yeah, you know what? I don't want to practice law anymore. And given that episode, I wanted to share my story today because it's not the typical, I don't want to practice law anymore story. So if you have been around for a while and listened to the show, especially if you listened to the first one. And if you didn't listen to the first one, you might want to, because that's more of a storytelling as well. That's my story, kind of a summary, I suppose, story of my career and how I got to where I am now. I touched on this a little bit, but I haven't really gone in depth into when I figured out, exactly when I figured out I didn't want to practice law anymore, how that happened, how I figured out what my next steps were, and so on. And so that's what I'm sharing with you today. And I think that it's going to resonate with some of you very specifically, especially since I was incredibly happy as a lawyer for a long time. And it was a surprise to feel that way. I wasn't the typical, I went to law school just because it was the thing to do or because I was expected to or thought I was supposed to, and then ended up, you know, practicing law because again, I thought I was supposed to and all of that jazz that some of us get caught up in. That would be Sarah's story. I was a happily practicing attorney for many years and suddenly found myself facing down, oh my gosh, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. So 
I definitely wanted to share that with you because I do think that there are people out there who fit that bill. Also, even if you don't have this going on in your life, I think some of the things I'm going to share with you are still going to resonate. And especially the steps that I took to figure it out, because at the end of the day, and we touched on this again with Sarah as well, this is really about always understanding who you really are and what you want out of your life, um, out of your career, out of you know the place you or the space that you take up in your life and who you want to be known as. It's more than just being a lawyer. And we'll get into some of that as well. And I think it's really important for us to check in regularly on this because circumstances change. Experiences that we don't expect happen, like what happened with me when I had cancer. And those things change us. They change how we see ourselves. They change how we define ourselves. They change what we want out of our lives. And unfortunately, I just had some sirens going. So because I didn't want to stop what I was saying and because I thought that was so important, it's probably going to be in the podcast. I don't think I can um, edit that out. One thing I'm going to note is usually I have kind of a basic outline. I think through very carefully and clearly what I'm going to talk about in my podcast. And I jot down my thoughts and the points that I want to make very clearly and concisely. And I don't write everything out that, you know, doesn't work for me and it would take too long. I usually only spend about maybe 15 minutes per show doing this. I haven't really done that here. I mean, I did take a couple of minutes before getting on here to jot down um, a few thoughts that came to mind that I know that I wanted to share with you. But today is going to be a little bit more stream of consciousness <laughs> because I feel that it's my story and I don't want it pre-planned. I want to just share with you what comes and what feels right in the moment. So for those of you who don't know this, I practiced law for over 18 years before I left. And when I first started my career, I was one of those gung-ho, going to change the world kind of lawyers. And I think a lot of us who go to law school for a real reason, who have passion and purpose behind the choice that we've made, feel that way. Now, I know I became a corporate finance lawyer, <laughs> and that may not seem like, you know, a role that you take on to change the world. And it really wasn't. I don't quite know. Well, I do know. I ended up practicing corporate finance because I was an economics major and economics was really, really interesting to me and challenging to me. And I loved it. And I liked finance. And I just kind of naturally gravitated into that area. And I did realize, okay, I'm not going to change the world doing this. But I did feel really good about the fact that I was practicing a type of law that was necessary to keep the economy going. That helped companies. A lot of the, the facilities that I worked on were middle market, um, some were small business, and yes, some larger companies, but these were companies that I felt were important to the economy, to keeping it going. They provided great jobs. They provided growth and stability to people. And so that was my kind of way of um, using my gifts and talents in a way that I felt good. And I especially loved helping my clients. I was really big on building my practice in a way where I would attract people that were more like me. I didn't want to work with people that I didn't really align with from a values perspective. And one of my big values is family. 
Family is hugely important. It ended up being one of the biggest values that came into play when I decided to leave my law practice. And I wanted clients who also valued family and wanted to be there for their families and then would respect me for the same thing. And so I built a, a pretty thriving practice. Now, it didn't, it didn't start off that way. So I shared in that first episode that a couple of years in, I was really, really miserable and burning out. And you can go back and listen to that. The, the short answer is I figured out why and took care of that and then realized how to create the practice I actually wanted and moved firms because that made it, frankly, easier for me. And they had a practice at the old firm that I didn't really want to be practicing anymore. It was very energy-based. Went to my new firm, was a better practice, better fit for me, and was kind of off to the races. And so after a couple of years there, I was promoted to partner, and I really seriously started building my practice. Again, my way, based on my values, my family value, and also another value that's really, really important to me, which is service. I... And I, will, I think I've shared this before, but I will share it again in the show notes because I've written about this before. From a very young age, service has been a really important value. And I think it was imparted upon me by my grandfather, who also obviously had service as a big value to him. And I've written about what service means and how I learned it from him in an article that I will share. But service to me at that time, for a long time, meant being present with the people I was serving. So if I was having a one-on-one conversation with a family member, a friend, or a client, I was fully present with them, serving them, listening to them to the best of my ability. It was a very connection-based service. And I built my practice in that way. I built my practice with people who liked talking about their families, shared that, again, family value, who enjoyed serving others, who wanted to be served, and who were open to it. And it was a really great fit. And I was really, really happy for many years. And then cancer hit. I did not know when I first got cancer. And frankly, even by the end of that journey, and when I say end of that journey, what I'm talking about is the treatment portion. There's kind of, there's different phases of cancer. The first phase is the finding out. And you're scared. You don't know what's going on. There's all these tests you have to take to find out, you know, how much how bad is it? What kind is it? Um, how far is it spread? All of that. And that's the first phase. And that's a pretty short-term phase because you get a bunch of tests and you start getting answers and you start putting a treatment plan together. For me, that phase was about a week. And within a week of my diagnosis, I knew exactly where I stood as far as what kind of cancer I had, how, how aggressive it really was. But the good news was it didn't seem, it, it hadn't spread which was great news because had it spread, I <laughs> I would not be here with you today. And then I had a treatment plan. And so then I went into the second phase and the second phase is treatment where you go into actually being treated for cancer. And there's a lot of unknowns in that because you don't know if it's going to work. You don't know how well it's going to work. I certainly didn't. And, you know, the unknown is very scary and fear- fearful, but there is a little more certainty And that certainty kind of anchors you and um, helps keep you going. And the certainty that's provided is just the treatment. Your doctors, you regularly see them. You regularly go in for treatment and you get into kind of a rhythm. And by the time I got into that rhythm, I just remember thinking, oh, 
okay, I know, I know my plan. I know what's going to happen now. We're going to get through this. I'm going to assume it's going to be successful. That's how I got through it uh, so that I wouldn't dwell on all of the bad what is. And I am going, you know, I'm going to get through this and then we're going to get back to what I, what it was before. I'm going to get back into my practice. I'm going to get back into serving my clients and it's going to be the way it was. And this vision for me kept me going. I kept assuming that it was all going to go back to the way it was pre-cancer, which was incredibly incorrect. <laughs> and kind of what I think what made me feel so not like myself post-cancer. So in that second phase, I just assumed everything would go back, of course. And and honestly, I would never go, I wouldn't go back and change that now because it, I think it helped me get through that time period in a really healthy way, in the way that I needed to get through it. I just, if I could change anything, I would go back to say four, five, six months post-cancer when I really started getting a sense of something wasn't right and I would have paid more attention to it then instead of forcing the, let's just get back to what it was before. Let's get back to normal. So then I went into that third phase and that was the post-treatment. And again, I, I had this sense in the back of my mind that I like, okay, I went through this experience. I could have died. I knew it. I had two young children. So if you don't know, my kids were six and two when I was diagnosed. And one of the biggest fears I had is that I would die within a year or two of my diagnosis and my two-year-old would barely even remember who I was. And so I knew, okay, obviously that changed me in some way, shape, or form. You don't go through something like that and not be changed. But I kept thinking, well, of course it did, but it must mean that I just, I want to go all out. I don't want to hold back. I want to speak up more um, so that I don't later in life have regrets over not speaking up when I know I should, not doing something when I could have helped others, that type of thing. And so we did really prioritize speaking up, doing what I wanted within my practice. Again, I was assuming that I still wanted to go back to the way it was before, but just more boldly, I guess you could say. And I pushed forth that way for a couple of years. And the longer I went, the worse it got. I, I had this sense that, okay, something is just not right. Something has really changed, but I have absolutely no idea what that is. And I think I had this fear in the back of my mind. I, I say I think because I wasn't, I'm pretty sure, I mean, I did, but I wasn't ready to face it at that point, this sense that perhaps maybe I wouldn't be practicing anymore if I really went and, and dove deep into what I was feeling and what this all meant. And that kept me from doing anything about it for a really long time, for, as I said, a couple of years. And it all came to a head one day and I remember this so clearly. I was washing dishes in my kitchen. And 
you know, you hear people talking about out-of-body experiences when they technically die or their heartbeat stops, you know, when they're in surgery or something and they come back and it's like they were floating above themselves looking down. I had kind of one of those moments. I was washing dishes and I, I just felt like I was floating above watching myself do this. And my kids were around me and I was answering questions. And it was this weird thing where I'm like, I'm watching me or at least this person that looks like me and sounds like me, but she no longer feels like me. And it was so jarring that I remember I had to take a couple of minutes um, when I kind of got a handle of what was going on and walk away and, and, and go, whoa, what just happened? And take some deep breaths and my heart was like racing. And that was the moment that I realized, okay, Heather, you got to figure this out. Something is wrong. Something is not right. And here's where it reminds me of something that happened early in my legal career. So if you have listened to the first episode, I believe I talked about this. There was this moment where I was I was driving home after a late night, after having a year of very, very late nights. And I think I had on, you know, only a couple of days I didn't work that year. And it was towards Christmas and there was, you know, the most wonderful time of the year was playing and I just burst into tears. And I knew something is really, really wrong. I didn't feel like me anymore. And in that moment, I also realized, well, because I don't feel like me, I'm not really acting like me. I'm lashing out. I'm taking it out on my husband. He is getting exhausted with me. And that's the moment I realized, well, it wasn't in that moment. We actually, I went home that night, complained more, and we had a fight. And then I realized that I'm becoming somebody I don't really want to be. I don't even know this person anymore, and I need to change something. Well, this moment post-cancer was the exact same thing. I, because I had been pushing, 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 pushing down these feelings that something's wrong, maybe you don't want to be doing this anymore, but out of fear, out of worry, out of, oh my God, what does that mean? How much is that going to change our lives? Um, our lives were so, you know, in upheaval because of the cancer already, and I'm just starting to get back on my feet financially and all of that. Because of all of those fears, I kept pushing it away. But the problem was, because I wasn't addressing it internally and figuring this out and doing anything about it, I was, I was not being fully me. I was kind of stunting my own personality and, of course, taking it out on those I loved the most. Now, I wasn't as snappy and terrible as I'd been you know, the previous time this had happened, but I kind of was at times. And it wasn't so much that as I was, I guess you could say I wasn't always all there. Because I felt so off and so not like me, I wasn't fully present with my kids. I wasn't fully present with my husband. And it got to a point around this time, it wasn't exactly at this moment, but it was within a couple of months because I hadn't said anything even a couple of months later to my husband as I was starting to dive deeper and figure this out for myself, which was a mistake, by the way, and I'll get into that in a minute, where my husband looked at me and said, do you, do you want to be married to me anymore? Gut-wrenching, right? Yeah, I did. I mean, the man that I'd 
adored and loved and wanted to be married to and wanted to have children with, who I'd known since I was a teenager in college, who supported me and was there and did absolutely so much for me and my kids during my battle with breast cancer was actually asking me that question. And so I'd really become kind of numb, I guess would be the best word for it. And removed is another one from some of my emotions, which meant not really feeling the good either. To And here's something that I think is really important to understand. When you have something going on internally like this and you don't really feel quite yourself because you're not willing to explore it and you're trying then to run away from those feelings those icky you know worry fear anxiety that gets produced from not knowing and 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 thinking oh my god what if this means big changes the uncertainty all of that you don't just stunt the bad you stunt the good too you can't just numb out on the things that you want to numb out on without numbing out all of your feelings and emotions and passions. That's something I learned very clearly through this process that I want to make very clear to you, which is part of why I'm sharing the story. And so at that moment, I decided, okay, I got to figure this out. Now, the first thing that I did, because I had already had an experience like this before, and my values had been so important to me, in figuring out who I wanted to be as a lawyer and how I wanted to practice law and how I wanted my life to look, I of course realized I need to get back to those. I need to figure out, have my values changed in some way? Do I have new values? Have my definitions changed? You know, what all the things that were meaningful to me before, what do they mean to me now? Because here's the deal, y'all. You can't figure out what it is you want to do with your life if there is a change involved without knowing who you are first. And I do not believe, after having this happen to me a couple of times and having some experiences several times now throughout my life, and frankly in seeing this in clients too, I do not believe that our values are 100% static throughout our lives. We form them starting at a very young age based on our experiences how we're raised, the people around us, and all of that. And then ultimately, we choose what they are for ourselves and define them for ourselves. But they do not remain static, i.e. never change, always exactly the same. Now, I don't believe that huge, big values that are important to you go away, at least not completely. Um, I think they're always there. The difference is your life experiences, the things you learn along, along the way, And the crud that we have to deal with throughout life change how we define our values. And then sometimes huge, big experiences can introduce new ones that become preeminently important, maybe just as important as our top one or two pre-whatever that happened, or they can even leapfrog over those. Not to say the other values go away, it's just that maybe they're not the number one, right? And so... That's something I've definitely learned, and that's what I needed to figure out. That is what I needed to do. And as I said, I started a deep dive. I started really thinking about, okay, what are my values? What's important to me? How do I want to define them? What do these mean to me now that I've been through this experience? And of course, I did this on my own, (laughs) which is something I'm pretty known for. 
I, I'm very independent. I like to figure things out on my own. I think most of us lawyers are like this, right? And so I went full bore forward and did it all by myself. And if I, if I had anything that I want that would change from that experience, that would be probably the one thing. Because I think that's the reason why a couple of months later, I ended up with that question from my husband. And that question, you know, of do you really want to be married to me anymore? Because I was dealing with so much internally, so much internal struggles, so much internal emotions and unable to get it out because I, I was too scared to talk to him about it yet, which was also really not smart on my part. It would have been a great thing for me to say something earlier. And again, I was, yes, I had all these emotions, but I was blunting them to the outside world so that I didn't want to take them out on other people because at that point I'd realized I do need to figure this out. I do need to do something about it. I am scared to death and I don't want to take it out on other people. And in that process of not wanting to take it out, I had nowhere to go. And so I numbed everything out, which was a mistake. At that point, when he raised the issue, I started to realize, okay, I need to, I need to start talking about this. And so that's, when everything changed for me and I started telling him about, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I'm not quite sure what I do want to do, but I, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And <laughs> to his credit, I mean, he was shocked initially, but not really for long. And he, he looked at me and was like, well, do you want to quit now? Do you, you know, what do you want to do? We will have to change some things, but we can make this work, which was, you know, a clear indication that I've I should have said something earlier. <laughs> he would have been there and supported me. And my answer back was, no, I don't want to quit immediately. I want to take some time to figure this out. And this is key, y'all. Talking to other people and not, not keeping it buried is so important. It allows you to explore more deeply. And it allows you space and breathing room that you, you need. Um, there was something about telling him how I felt that was this huge release emotionally that allowed me to get all of those fears and worries and stuff kind of out in the open. And once I did that, a lot of them started to diminish. Now, not to say they went away completely, but they started to diminish on me and they stopped ruling me and I no longer felt numb and it enabled me to kind of be me again. And so I think the moral of this story is two things. Number one, your values truly are key to who you are. So if you're not sure who you are or you feel a little like discombobulated as though, you know what, I've been on this path and I'm not sure it's right for me anymore, check in with your values. They are the number one clue for figuring out what you want, who you want to be, how you want to show up. And once you figure that out, then it, it gets a little more clear and easier to figure out the what do you want to do. Okay. And then number two, tell people. Now, don't just go telling anyone and everyone. Tell people you trust. Tell one or two people is fine initially. Just tell them. Tell them how you're feeling. Tell them what you're thinking about. It's a huge release and will help you figure things out more quickly. I fully believe that if I had said something to him a year before when I was really, start, you know, or two years even when I really first started to think through these things, that I would have, um, I would have ended up leaving a lot more quickly. I would have saved myself a whole lot of heartache. I would have saved ourselves a lot of difficult days 
in a marriage uh, as we were kind of trying to traverse through my fears and worries and all the stuff that he didn't really know what was going on, but that's what was going on within me and it was impacting our relationship. And so talk to those you trust who are closest to you, who will be there to support you. It will help free you up so much. And it really freed me up to start thinking, okay, what are my next steps now? What are the things I wanted to do? I thought I was really into health and nutrition. So I actually thought about getting and going to like a health coaching type of a thing and ultimately decided that's not really what I wanted to do. I actually, I don't even remember all the things. There were four or five different things that I looked through. But coaching came along for two reasons. So one, I was looking at the nutrition angle of coaching and realizing, yeah, I don't, I don't really want to do that piece because I don't think I'm passionate enough about it and I don't want to go back to school. I mean, I've done enough school. Thank you very much. I don't want that much school for the whole because I would need to do coaching training potentially and then also some type of health and nutrition like integrative type thing. And I didn't want that. But that's kind of what got me thinking a little bit about coaching in general. And then I remember having a conversation with a coach friend of mine who I told her, you know, I don't think I'm going to be doing this much longer, maybe another year or two at most. And I'm looking into coaching and doing other things that I'm just not sure. What do you think? And she's like, oh, my God, Heather, you'd be so great. You really should consider kind of business or work-life balance coaching or something based on your own past because you have a great story. And it's something that you could really coach people through and connect with people really well on. And so she actually, I credit her with kind of sending me down this path that I ultimately ended up on. And here's the funny thing, y'all. I initially thought I was going to be a work-life balance coach for anybody and everybody, not lawyers. (laughs) Because... I, I had this thing in the back of my mind that maybe I just wanted to get out of law completely, that maybe not practicing law meant I needed to leave the law altogether in every way, shape, or form. And so when I actually left and started my business, this is why I named it Course Correction Coaching. It had nothing to do with lawyers or business coaching even or any of that. I thought I was just going to help people with work-life balance, professional women, especially with work-life balance. And that's how I started my business. Now, funny enough, over the course of a couple of years, I ended up working primarily for lawyers. Now, I wouldn't say I work 100% with lawyers. There are non-lawyers that I do work with. I have worked with some consultants. I have worked with some people in uh, marketing and um, some executive level folks in uh, varying areas and some entrepreneurs as well. But I would say at any given time, 85 to 90% of my clients are lawyers. And practically, this is why I have the Life and Law podcast. This is why, you know, everything is branded towards lawyers because here's the deal, y'all. I am a lawyer and I think like a lawyer and I understand lawyers and I can help them the most. And so when it comes to marketing and niching and all of that, that's where I've gone. But it's mostly because they came to me. So over the course of my first couple of years of being a coach, Slowly but surely, it was mostly lawyers who started to hire me after a while. And then I decided probably about six months before this podcast started to jump fully into that and rebranded my website and rebranded everything I did and started this podcast. So that's how I got kind of here. It was it was happenstance, which just goes to show you that you can't plan everything <laughs> because sometimes others kind of help 
guide you to what you're best at and what you're meant for. So what did I do when I decided, okay, I know I want to do coaching. I know I don't want to practice law anymore. How quickly did it happen for me? It actually happened very slowly. And this is another interesting thing. And I think I mentioned this last week on the interview with Sarah. I knew that I didn't want to practice. And I knew that some type of coaching was probably for me. But I wasn't 100% sure because I hadn't actually done it yet, right? And I think it's important that we... If we can, we at least dabble a little bit to figure out if it's something this is that, that's this big of a change that we figure out, okay, is this really something I want to do? And you've got to get a better understanding of what the day-to-day looks like and what it, you know, how you use your skills and strengths and all of that and whether it's something you want to be doing every single day. And so what I did is I decided to enroll in a coach training school so that I could be trained fully and not get caught up in pure consulting. Now, interesting note, I do a hybrid really now. Yes, sometimes I purely coach clients because that's what they need. Other times I do more consulting and sometimes I do both. I'd say most of the time, actually, I do a little bit of both in my sessions with my clients, probably because of the reason they come to me. They come to me for that too. And I'm very clear about, okay, this is consulting versus this is coaching. But I wanted to make sure I understood the difference between coaching and consulting and what coaching really was. And as a good little trained lawyer, I thought, oh, I need all that training. I'm not sure I really needed as much as I got, if you want my honest opinion, (laughs) to do what I do now. But um, it was good for me at the time. It was interesting. I enjoyed it immensely. And so I definitely don't regret going to do it. So I started doing that on the side. And when I went through coach training, you needed to coach people. So I would, I told people I knew closely. I coached a couple of people I knew, which just kind of for fun, not via pay. And then a a friend slash client, um, legal client of mine who knew about, she was one of the few who knew what I was doing, recommended, actually referred a paying client to me. And I started working with her. And then I started working with some other people as well. And so I did that on the side while practicing law. And that was important for me because I wanted to make sure, well, is this really what I want to be doing moving forward? And something that I learned to lean into, and I think I've talked about this a little bit before, and I know I'm going to have a future podcast on, you know, how to lean into your strengths a little bit more and use your strengths to your benefit. But one of my strengths is, The ability to take things that seem really complex and difficult and have like a million steps. So maybe it's A through Z, right? So you you think there's all these steps and it's just, it's so hard to figure out where's point A, where's point B, what are my actual first two or three steps? What do I do here? I'm really good at looking at stuff like that and nailing down, okay, no, here's what you really need to be focusing on and what you really know. And here's your first one or two steps, or you know what, you can integrate these 50 steps into five, and here's what they are. So that's something I was always really, really good at, which is probably one of the reasons I ended up in corporate finance law and structured finance. It helped me a lot in the practice of law. It also helps a lot in coaching. And it's something that I realized as I started to take coach training that, oh, my strengths can be utilized just in a different way here. And so that was really, really exciting to me. So Note, values were key to discovering who I was 
and giving me some pointers as to the types of thing I might want to do. But my strengths really helped me figure out the what. What do I really want to be doing going forward? And so I think it's important. Yes, you check in with your values and you start there. But you also then want to look at what are your strengths? What what am I good at? What do people come to me for? What am I naturally inherently like good at um, seeing? And how I think. And, and strengths aren't just skills. I think sometimes we, in fact, they're not skills. Sometimes we um, think they are, you know, good writing, um, good at speaking. No, that's not really what I'm talking about here. It goes deeper than that. Now, your strengths often are what make you so good in certain skills because you know how to utilize and highlight them. But they aren't the same thing as your skills. And if you're not sure what your strengths are, I think I've recommended this before. I'm going to recommend it again. There is co- something called uh, Strengths Finder or Clifton Strengths. I can't remember what the current. I think it's Clifton Strengths now. I am not affiliated with them, but I have done it myself, and I I have upon occasion used it with my clients. I find them highly valuable. So maybe if you're not quite sure, you want to go check that out. So one of the things I I noticed as I was going through this process is I realized that my values were very much the same in many ways, right? Family was still an important value to me. Service was still an important value to me, but they changed a little bit in how I wanted to show up within those values. And family had always been a top three. It was now number one. Something about, you know, thinking you might die with a two and a six-year-old at home has a habit of doing that. And it has not changed since then. It is still my number one value. It is the reason I do what I do. It is the reason I started this podcast. It is one of those values I consistently check in with. And family to me, pre-cancer was about, you know, being able to spend quality time with my family, being a good role model, all of that. That it was probably primarily about being able to spend quality time and just be with them and to be fully present when I was with them. All of that is still very much a part of that value. But one of the things that changed after this experience was I wanted to truly step into the being the person that I wanted to be for my kids to be that role model, to show them that they can try anything. Now, I want to have a caveat here. I do not believe everyone can do everything, at least not successfully. It just doesn't work that way. There's a, a, you know, you have to have certain skills and strengths. Um, If you don't have the right skills and strengths, you're not going to be as good at certain things. But even if you are, and even if you work hard, there might be somebody who works harder or there might be somebody who's just luckier. There is a fair amount of luck that goes into things. So I'm not one of those people that thinks that if you just do your best, you're going to succeed at everything. But I wouldn't necessarily call that failure either, right? Success is doing your best and then gaining whatever you can from that. And I wanted to show my kids that regardless of knowing what the outcome is, go and follow your values, use your strengths to your best of your ability, and you're going to make a bigger impact on other people and the lives of others and the world in general, regardless of how successful you are from a monetary standpoint, or if you're as successful as you had wanted to be, doesn't matter. And so... That is now all encompassed within that family value, which was a little surprising to me. And it's one of the biggest reasons I ended up in coaching. And it's also one of the biggest reasons that when I felt the call to start this podcast, that I did that as well, because we talk about 
the podcast at home and I tell my kids, you know, some of the topics that I cover and about some of the guests that I have on and all of that. And so that was one of the things that changed for me. That was a deciding factor in me deciding, yeah, I am leaving and yeah, coaching is right for me. And then the other change to a value was service. So again, pre-cancer, Heather wanted to just show up and be fully present and do my best for my clients. That was serving them. And that was still part of that value. But I realized that I wanted to serve a bigger purpose to enable people to live better, happier lives where they could make a bigger impact. And so that was one of the reasons coaching was so important for me and such a good fit for me from a values perspective, because coaching is really all about helping people dig a little bit deeper and uncover the fears and the worries and the doubts and all the things that tend to hold them back so that they can go all in and really go out and try all the things that they want to do and let go of worrying about what other people think of them and let go of worrying about what might or might not happen in failure and just doing it anyway. And so obviously that change was a big reason why practicing law for me was no longer the right fit. That was one of the biggest, I think, reasons why I felt so out of sync. And once I figured that out, that's why when my friend said, oh, you might want to try coaching, it felt so, oh my God, yeah, I think I think that might be a good fit for me. There was one other thing that happened that I realized when it came to my values, and that is I had a new one. So three of my top values pre-cancer were service, family, and connection. And connection for me is just connecting deeply with people when I'm with them. Um, It kind of goes hand in hand with my other values. They all are interconnected, I think. But the new value that came into play was inspire, to inspire others to live the way they truly want to live, to speak up the way they truly want to speak up, to be the full version of themselves that they're capable of being, but only if they step beyond the, that discomfort that we all feel when we think about perhaps stepping out on a limb and going the extra mile and raising our hand and speaking up and all of those things, right? And so that also was a big reason why coaching was a good fit for me because I felt like I could do that on a one-to-one basis with my coaching clients. And, and really help them in that way. And I got to say, I think I've said this before, um, but I had a really tough time with the to inspire value for a while. I felt like maybe it was too big for me. Like, who am I to think I can inspire people? It took me a couple of years to get comfortable with it, which is nuts in some ways, right? But I, I wanted to share that with you because I think... Sometimes we find that we have values that feel uncomfortable, that we feel like, oh, I don't know if I deserve to to step into this. I don't know, you know, this is too big for my britches or this is embarrassing or, you know, this shouldn't be. It's not for me. And I want to encourage you not to allow that to happen because ever since I've really stepped into that value, I've learned that, you know what, I'm not for everybody and that's totally okay. But I do believe that each and every one of us can inspire others and is here to inspire others. And by stepping into this value, I'm able 
to inspire the right people to do the things they want so that they can be inspirational. And that's actually a, a piece of that value for me so that they can step into being inspirational to others as well. Because I fully believe that that's everybody's capable of that. You don't have to be some special person who's known by all. And so don't run away from your values. You never know what can actually happen when you fully embrace them. And only really good can. I will tell you, it took me not just a couple of years, but once I finally, finally embraced that value, that is when I made the decision to start this podcast. And I I can't even imagine not having it now. I've really, you know, when I took that six-week hiatus, I missed it. And I heard from people who missed it. And I'm so glad that I fully embraced it because I do feel like it's allowed me to kind of step up my game so that I can be there for more people. So do not just, I encourage you, do not run away from those. Okay. All right. So final note about kind of my progression out of law and into coaching. I made my decision. So when I first told my husband, I don't know if I want to practice law anymore. I had no clue I wanted to do. And it took me about a good year to figure that out after that. Now, I did go into coach training probably about six months after that conversation because I'd figured out, okay, this might be. and But I wasn't 100% all in until about a year when I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm ready. And when I mean done and ready, done and ready to embrace, this is what I want to do not necessarily stop practicing. That's when we sat down and said, okay, this is when we're going to do it. This is, you know, and I set a deadline for myself and really that made it real. And so I encourage you, if you are at a point where you're like, okay, yeah, I know I want to do something else. Or you ever get to this point, come back and listen to this, right? And you figure out what it is, but you know that maybe financially you're not ready to leave immediately. Maybe you need some time, you know, to get some things together. Set a deadline for yourself and work towards that deadline. And I think it makes it a lot easier then to make make the move because you 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 have it in your mind, you plan for it, you do the things you need. So because I had two kids who were in school that I, you know, wanted to keep in their school because they love it. I gave myself up to two years to leave because I had, you know, I was, my practice was really thriving. I was starting to make good money again after being out for almost a year. And I wanted to save up and have enough savings that if this didn't work out and it took a couple of years to really make any money, that we would be okay. And we could still pretty much keep our standard of living. I mean, we did have to make a couple of cuts, but we didn't have to do a lot. And so I encourage you to set a date regardless of what that is. Now, it doesn't have to be a year or two years out. It's whatever works for you. For me, two years was as long as I wanted to go. And I was working behind the scenes on all kinds of things and, you know, continuing to do coaching on the side and getting, you know, so that I could get my certification. And I wanted to be ACC certified by the time I came out. And I pretty much was. I think I got, officially got my ACC certification a month or two after I left. Um, And so there was a lot of, you know, things that I was working on for with purpose and saving and doing all the things I needed to do financially for me and my family. What I will tell you, and I find this really, really interesting, is that even though I knew I wanted to leave and even though it wasn't immediate, I felt fine with where I was 
because I knew I was doing exactly what I needed to do in that moment to get me to where I wanted to be. There is something about talking to others and then starting, you know, putting together a plan and then starting that plan of action that really helps you to feel like, okay, I'm doing something. And so I am moving and I am where I need to be right now, even though you haven't technically left yet when you know you want to. And so I just wanted to leave you with that. I think sometimes we think that we need to make the huge leap at once. And sometimes we do, but not often. And you don't necessarily have to do that. And so if that is you, what I would say is step back and say, okay, well, where am I now? What's point A? Where do I ultimately want to be? Maybe that's point D. How could I take a first step to get me closer to that? And what's the plan to get me there? And then just get started one step at a time. It does not have to be a huge, bold, massive leap. All right, y'all. So that's my story around how cancer changed me, how I realized I needed to not be a lawyer anymore, what I did to start to figure out who I really was, how cancer changed me, and then what that meant for me moving forward, and how I got out of the law and started my coaching business. If you have any other questions, I'm always happy to answer them. Just reach out to me at heather at heathermolder.com. All right, bye for now. We will be talking next week. Are you tired of barely squeezing life in thinking, shouldn't there be more to life than this? Do you wanna get to the next level, but without losing yourself in the process? Are you ready to start thinking and doing differently so that you can stop doing the same things over and over and over, hoping for a different result? If any of this speaks to you and you're ready to do something about it starting now, book a call with me to find out how I can help. Go to lifeandlawpodcast.com forward slash free call.